Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of your pastors. I'm so glad that you're joining us, whether you're a brand new listener, whether you listen to us every week, or whether you're just someone from our community who missed this past Sunday's message and is catching up. I just want to say welcome. Also, I want to remind you that this is a great opportunity to support the vision of our church and what God is doing here and in our community. Uh, if you've heard in the past couple of months and you've heard about our 10-year vision and all about what we're going after as a church. So if you want to support that, a great way to do that uh, is financially, to give uh, from your resources and your finances to support what God is up to at the church. And you can do that on our Church Center app or on our website. So this week, we are on week two of our Christmas series that we are calling All is Calm. You're actually about to hear a message from me, Uh, so go ahead and give that a a listen. I also included the song that we sang right after the message as worship and also as a kind of an action step to the, the message itself. So give both of those a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. Amen. Go ahead, take a seat. So glad that everyone is here and that you're getting me after I've found some peace. About halfway through that second song in the first service, I lost my notes, and then I spilled a cup of water over, and then I think I hit one of the worship team members with a chair, uh, so I needed some time to, to, to calm, but I've done that. I've found my, my calm in between that last service and this one. So thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Canton. I want to remind you that if you're new here or if you've been with us for years, that we don't want you just to attend, but also to belong. You belong to God, so you belong to this community. And when you fill out one of those Connect cards, that's the best way for us to to reach out and get you plugged in. So be sure to do that. Stop by the welcome desk if you have any issues or problems. They would love to help you out. And also just say hi and be a smiling face for you to meet this morning. So today we are in our second week of our Christmas series that we are calling All is Calm. Last week we talked about the gift of silence, and if you missed that or that sounds a little odd to you, be sure to go back and listen to the sermon via our podcast or our website to get all caught up. But before we get to what I want to talk about today, I'm going to ask a question and hope that um, we have answers on both sides. Let me ask, I, I kind of want to get a, pull, a, a pulse for where everyone's at when it comes to Christmas. So who here in the room just loves Christmas? It's your favorite holiday. Give me a shout. You love Christmas. Give me a shout. There you go. Good. Maybe you love the trees or the lights or the music, whatever it is. That, that's awesome. And that's good. And I, I'm glad that some of us love Christmas. But let me ask another question. Is there anyone in the room who Christmas is not your favorite? Would you, would you raise your hand? Maybe Christmas is just really anxiety-filled and stressful for you. Thank you for raising your hand. Last service, no one did, and then I felt really alone up here. Because <laughs> if I'm being honest, I fall into that second camp. Uh, Christmas is not my favorite season, and part of it is because growing up, I don't remember or uh, have memories of Christmas where all was calm. I remember the anxiety of getting the house ready for, for family and for guests. I remember some of the tension between myself and my parents as they got stressed out about Christmas. And I remember the pressure that was particularly difficult for me to handle of giving and receiving gifts and some of the stress that that, that caused me. And I just, I had good memories of Christmas, but overall I just remember it uh, as this time of the exact opposite of, of calm. The issue, now that I'm a married <laughs> adult, is that I have a wife who loves Christmas. 
It's her favorite thing. She loves the lights. She loves the cookies, the caroling. She loves going out in the winter. Uh, and then she's got to come home to me <laughs> and deal with the Grinch. So we, we haven't been married long, only about four years. But I, I realized that it was becoming a problem, that there were moments where uh, I would kill my wife's joy, that I, I would have moments where I ruined Christmas for her because I was just so stressed out and anxious about it and such a scrooge about it, really. So what I decided this year is that I was going to make a commitment to do my best to be less of a Scrooge and, and to leave space for my wife to experience uh, all of the calm that she usually experiences during the Christmas season. And as I've been trying to kind of rehabilitate my heart <laughs> towards Christmas, one of the things I got to thinking about is, you know, the reason for Christmas. This is something that I forget pretty frequently. Maybe you do too. I, I get distracted, right? I get distracted by uh, the gifts and, and the finances. Uh, I get distracted by the weird songs about mommy kissing Santa Claus. Uh, I just, I forget. I get distracted by all the things that come with Christmas and kind of stress me out. So what I want us to do today is remember uh, the reason for the season. And now, as I was saying that, some of you thought in your head, or maybe even said to your neighbor, well, it's Jesus. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> you get a cold star. It is about Jesus. But, but I want us to think a little bit more deeply today about the reason. I want us to go a little bit deeper than just uh, the name of Jesus. It is about Jesus, but it may be for some of you who are newer to the church, that's kind of all you know is it's just about the birth of Jesus, and that's true, but there's so much history and importance behind the arrival of Jesus on this earth, and that's really what I want to dig into today and spend our time talking about. So let's, let's start with a word that maybe some of you have heard. If you've been around the church, maybe some of you haven't, but that word is Messiah or the Messiah. It's actually a title. It is a Hebrew word that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, and when the New Testament authors were working with this word and speaking about the Messiah, they had to use Greek. And in Greek, the word for one who is anointed or the anointed one is Christos, which you take that to English and you get Christ. So it's actually Jesus the Christ it is a title. And the, the Christ or the Messiah was a figure in the Old Testament that was promised by God and who would be an eternal, perfect king. And God promised Israel that this king would eventually come, would eventually show up. And, and maybe some of you are like, I, that's okay. We don't believe in kings in America. Why, why does a king matter? Uh, and what I want you to see is the kind of king that is promised in the Messiah in the Old Testament. So we're going to start today with a scripture that many of you might be familiar with. We read it a lot in this Christmas season. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Well, I will have it up on the screen. But let's start in Isaiah 9. This is what it says. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So this is a prophecy. This is a telling of something that will happen in the future. And I want you to notice at the promises, the kind of king that is described here. He will be uh, a father. He will be a comforter. He will be a prince. It, it talks about how the government will rest on his shoulders. Not a government, but all of them. That's another way of saying he will have absolute authority. It all sounds 
pretty special. And then it also talks about the kind of kingdom he will have. And it talks about how it will be a kingdom marked with justice and peace, not just for a little bit, but for forever. So a powerful, merciful, eternal king who will reign with justice and peace forever. So maybe you can kind of see what the Israelites in the Old Testament were so excited about and so expectant about. And it's important, too, to realize what they were experiencing. So they, they were excited about who the Messiah was going to be, but they were also excited about what he was going to do. So Israel at this time in the Old Testament, around the first century, is living under the Roman Empire, and they're being crushed. I mean, this is a brutal, vicious, unmerciful empire that ruled them with an iron fist. Uh, it taxed them. It literally beat them to death in the streets. Uh, it, it, the Roman Empire could decide how, what it wanted to do with Israel any day of the week. And, and the few times that Israel tried to rebel, they were killed and they were crushed. So this is, this is a brutal regime that they are suffering under. And now I want you to imagine how this kingdom that's described here might sound to people under that kind of oppression. A kingdom where there's fairness and justice forever. So they lived with this really powerful hope, a hope that couldn't even be stamped out by oppression, a hope uh, that lasted for a really long time. And what did they hope in? Well, I think what is, this prophecy is trying to communicate is that the Messiah is going to change everything. The Messiah will change everything. No more suffering, no more pain, no more injustice, no more being crushed under the thumb of your ruler, no more dying in the streets because a Roman soldier decided that's what he wanted to do today. And this hope is lived for generations. I think this is a kind of hope that's sometimes difficult for us to imagine, but think about it. Think about a hope, a hope for something that you not only shared with your brother and your sister, but with your mother and your father and your grandparents and their grandparents, a hope that was passed on from generation to generation. This this kind of eternal generation hope, it it lasted for literally hundreds of years that they would talk to about with their children and their grandparents and their families. And now I want you to imagine the celebration when this king arrives, the kind of party that you would throw, the confetti and the fanfare and the parades and the shouting from the rooftops. The, the, the people pouring out into the streets and just rejoicing that he's finally arrived. This is the arrival of royalty, right? Of a king. Think, think about last time that uh, the English royal family had a baby. Like, we heard about it. <laughs> we were over here. It was in our newspapers and on our uh, news channels and our feeds and our stories. It was everywhere. And, and I imagine that this is the kind of reception that Israel had planned for this special king once he finally arrived. So is that how the Messiah arrives? With parades and confetti and fanfare? I want us to spend some time in the Gospel of Luke today as we kind of unpack the story and and how the Messiah arrived and some of the things that happened after. Be in Luke 2.7. We'll start just with this verse. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
So let's talk about the place that the Messiah showed up in. I have a picture here of an uh, average first century Jewish home. You see it's, it's small, um, but it's kind of split up into two areas. There's this upper level uh, and this lower level. And the upper level was designated as the living room. This is where the family slept and ate, uh, where they did much of their uh, house kind of activities and chores. So that, that upper space was for people. That lower space was where the animals were. Because at night, animals and people slept in the same house together. But there was a separation. There was a space for the humans and there was a space for the animals for very obvious reasons, like smell and hygiene. <laughs> uh, but, but actually, the, you'll notice like the higher level was at a, obviously at a higher elevation. So any waste or runoff or liquids that got spilled or created in the upstairs would all run downstairs because it, it wasn't a place fit for people. It was a space for animals. And, and another thing I want you to notice, as you maybe some of you who are familiar with all of the accounts, uh, when we see all of the accounts in the Gospels of Jesus' birth, we hear a lot about what's happening down here. We don't hear about this space. We don't hear about the family coming down. We just hear about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Because Jesus was born where the animals live. That's how the Messiah arrived. In every sense of the word, the Messiah was born in solitude. There was no fanfare. There were no trumpets, no palaces, no confetti. He was born alone. In the place where the animals live, with just his mother and his father. And there's a couple reasons for this. One is that there was a census happening, which is where uh, your government uh, tallies and checks how many citizens it has, and the Roman Empire was doing that. So everyone who was born in that area, including David, had to bring their family and get accounted. So one of the issues was there just wasn't enough space. Um, there wasn't a lot of room. So they ended up, instead of an inn, in a, uh, a, probably in a home uh, in the space where the animals live. And, and that's just one factor, though, because the other factor in this story is that Mary and Joseph were in an incredibly shameful situation. I mean, think about it. Shouldn't his family and friends be there? Shouldn't he be surrounded by people from the community that had waited hundreds of years for this baby to be born, this one special child, but they're not there? Because of the census, but also because of what Mary and Joseph were going through. What had happened was that the Holy Spirit uh, conceived Jesus in Mary, and, and we could talk about that in a different sermon, but before Joseph and Mary were married. And in our culture today, there's still shame and stigma around this, right? If you have a child before you are married, you will probably uh, get dirty looks in the local grocery store. You'll probably get snide comments from your family, maybe even more than snide comments. There might be a lot of tension and a lot of friction. But what Mary and Joseph experienced was on a whole different level. This was expulsion. This was a shame so great that her family would have cast her out and said, you are no longer one of us. So it's not that her family wasn't around to take her in. It's probably more likely that Joseph and Mary's family had ostracized them, had refused to take them in or to be present for the birth of her child. The Messiah is not only born into solitude, but born into shame. 
into some of the most intense shame you could experience in that culture. So your question you might have is why? Because the reality is that this is not an accident or a coincidence. Scripture is very clear that everything that happens around Jesus' birth is orchestrated directly by God with angels and all of the other things that happen that he caused to happen. Actually, in Isaiah, uh, right around that, those verses we read, it talks about a prophecy that the Messiah would be born to a virgin. This is something that God chose for the Messiah. He caused this to happen. And that's a good question, but I, I kind of want us to ask a slightly different question as we process all of this. What I want you to think about, what I want you to consider is what is God trying to teach us? 2,000 years later, what is God trying to reveal to us about his character or how he does things? Whenever we don't understand what God is up to or, or why something is happening in Scripture, this is always a really good question to fall back on. What is God trying to teach us? And I want to go back to Luke and look at some of the things that happen after Jesus' birth, because I think they're going to begin to give us a clearer picture of what God is up to when he chose to have the Messiah born into solitude and shame. So we're going to jump down to uh, verses 16 through 20. So they, and they uh, is the shepherds, shepherds hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So, Talk about a couple of things that happen after Jesus is born. One of the things that happen is that uh, there are some shepherds in a field and they have this crazy divine encounter. And Pastor John's actually going to talk about that more next week. But after they have this encounter, they go find Mary and Joseph. And they see the baby Messiah, Jesus. This would have been really odd, almost inappropriate in that culture. Because remember, this is the birth of a king and shepherds, would be the last people who would be allowed in to see the king. They would have been at the back of the line, right? Shepherds were uh, dirty, kind of smelly peasants who spent all of their time outdoors. That's the exact opposite of royalty, right? They might've waited in line to see a king and then been told at the end, yeah, you can't go see him. Like these were not the people that would have been allowed around loyalty, but they come and see Jesus. And then they go tell everyone in town about him. They actually become the first evangelists of the birth of the Messiah. And the other thing that happens is that the people are amazed. Why are they amazed? I think it's fair to say that they're amazed because the Messiah that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years have arrived, but I don't think that's all of it. I think part of the reason they're amazed is because it all happened in such an unexpected manner. The Messiah was born where the animals lived. His heralds, or the people who announce his coming, are dirty, smelly shepherds. Jesus is born in a backwoods town, not a big city, a backwoods town to a shamed virgin peasant girl. And the people that Jesus is born to is not kings and priests like would have been expected, but farmers and peasants. He wasn't born as royalty. He was born as one of the lowly, and none of that makes sense. 
None of it makes any sense. So the people are amazed at all of the unexpected ways that the Messiah arrives in their midst. And I think they realize what Jesus meant and what God had been trying to tell them since the days of the Old Testament. The Messiah changed everything. The Messiah came to a place that didn't make sense, to a community that didn't make sense, and a family that didn't make sense. But I think that's one of the things that God is trying to teach us when he chooses for the Messiah to arrive in this way. It's that the Messiah will be different. He will not arrive in the way we expect. He will not do the things we expect him to do. And he will not rule in the way that we would expect a king to rule. His kingdom will be different. Will be something else entirely that the world has never seen. Even back then and since now. The Messiah changed everything. His rule and his kingdom would be different. Who notices all this? And this moment of craziness, when the the solitude is beginning to break and we see these shepherds run in and the town begins to hear, who notices all the events that are happening? Mary does. We talk a lot about Jesus during the Christmas season, which we should because it is about him, but I want to spend some time talking about Mary because Mary does something that I think is going to teach us how we need to be or what we need to do during the holiday season to find that calmness that the series is all about. So look back at uh, Luke 2, the 19 verse. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. We don't find Mary shouting about her Messiah baby from the street corners or knocking on the neighbor's doors. And let's be honest, if some of y'all had the Messiah baby, everybody would know tomorrow. You'd be in the local grocery store shouting it out. You'd be on the news. You'd be texting all your friends. You probably would have like a sticker on your car that said like, my student is the Messiah. (laughs) But not Mary. That's not what Mary does. We find Mary in this solitary moment, actually taking solitude in the moment and pondering. I imagine if this were kind of a movie, you'd have like a wide shot of the whole room and the the animals and and Mary and Joseph and and the baby and the shepherds running around and and that shot would get kind of closer and closer to Mary. You'd get a close-up on her face and all of the noise would kind of fade away and maybe you'd see her face kind of scrunched up deep in thought, maybe a slight smile on her lips. And I think this is what Luke is trying to highlight. He says all this stuff is happening but Mary. In the midst of all of this beginning chaos, in the midst of isolation and shame and confusion and unexpected, but Mary is pondering all of this. And pondering, what, what does that mean? I, in the Greek, that word ponder actually to mean, means to think deeply about something you don't understand. This is not a passing thought. She is reflecting. She is considering all that God has done and, and all the things that have happened to her and her family, and she's pondering it in her heart. What does that mean? That's not, I, I haven't heard any of you talk to me in, about how you're pondering something in your heart. That's maybe not familiar language for most of us, but this is language that's familiar for the biblical authors. And they use this language in other parts of scripture. I actually want to go to a psalm and show you where there's another spot where thinking is connected to the heart. 
This is the end of uh, Psalm 19. This last line is, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For those of you who don't know who David is, that's okay. All you really need to know is that a psalm is a kind of emotional poem. And in this poem, we have David, and he's talking about all of these things that he knows and believes about God, who he is and what he's done and how powerful he is. And at the end of that poem, he, he expresses this desire for his, what he is expressing, what he's putting on pen to have an impact on his heart. He, he desires what he is thinking to have an impact on how his heart is positioned towards God. Thinks about all God has done and all that he is. And his prayer is that it would stir up something in his heart towards God. Does that remind you of anybody? <laughs> Should remind you of Mary. I think that's what Mary is, is doing here. I think she is practicing meditation of the hearts. And I want to give us a kind of a definition of this word. Uh, Meditation of the heart is deep thinking and solitude that impacts your emotions. Deep thinking and solitude that impacts your emotions. What we know about David when he's writing this psalm is that he's in the middle of some kind of trial or tribulation. And in the middle of his difficulty, he takes time to pen down all of the things he thinks about God and ask that those things that he would think would turn his heart away from his trials and his tribulations and towards uh, having uh, love and, and respect and honor for God, just like Mary. But Mary... And some translations will say that Mary treasured these things in her heart, and they're they're expressing this idea that Mary thought deeply about God, and because of what she was thinking, she began to feel joy and awe and love and peace and calmness as she thought more deeply about who God was and what he was up to and what he was doing and what it meant for the life of her and her husband and her child. Her thoughts turned her emotions towards God. She treasured what he had done. Thought about the the specialness and the uniqueness and the, the kindness and the thankfulness that God had shown and that she was beginning to express. And, and what is she thinking about? This is something that the scripture doesn't give us, but I think we have enough here to make a, a couple safe assumptions about what Mary is experiencing. On one hand, she's probably thinking about being a mother for the first time, about holding her firstborn child for that very first special moment. Some of you are mothers and, and some of you have been through that experience and you know what that's like. But I don't think that's all she was thinking about. I have to wonder if Mary was also re-evaluating everything that her people thought about the Messiah. If she was going through everything in her head, remember it said she, she thought about all of this or all of these, and that's not just referring to what is happening in the moment, but it's referring to the angel showing up and telling her what's going to happen and, and, and the shame and, and the angels and, and the wise men and, and how this child, this Messiah, is going to change everything in her life. Those are some deep thoughts. 
Those are the kind of thoughts that change your world, worldview and your, uh, your, your emotions and your perspective on life. And those thoughts need to be processed, need to be thought deeply so that they can have an impact on your heart and not just be thoughts in your head, but emotions that you experience as a result. And I, I think God knows this. He knows that sometimes we need to be alone to be with him. Sometimes we need to think about what God has done in our lives and we need to do it in solitude. I think this is the other part of the reason why God did it this way. So that Mary and Joseph could experience some solitude and in solitude they could reflect on who the Messiah was and how he would change the world because they had to raise him. They had to bring him up. And I have to wonder if God is positioning their hearts to be ready to raise the Messiah. But they can't do that in in craziness and loudness. They have to do it in quiet and still and solitude, just like we do. We sometimes have to think like Mary about all that God has done and, and who he is and how he's moved in our lives and have the solitude, the time to practice meditation of the heart in a way that will actually impact our heart and our emotions and our worldview and all of the other things that will actually transform us from the inside out. Because when we take the time to reflect on how good God is and how much he loves us and the kind of peace he brings then we come face to face with God. I think Mary knew this. Often in that space of, of meditation, of, of stillness, of solitude, we find that God is there. We find that he's been there the whole time, that he never left us or forsake us, that he's been working the whole time, and that he loves us and is our champion in more ways than we could ever realize when we're distracted and busy with, busy, uh, with, with loudness and, and the, the holidays and family and all of the other things we got going on. When we pull all that aside and just think about God, it has a deep impact and that's often the space where he meets us in a new and fresh way. And here's, here's the other thing that I was thinking about. As, as we look at the life of Jesus, and some of you are familiar if we look at the life of Jesus, we see so many moments where he practices meditation of the heart, where he pulls back, where he chooses solitude, time with his father. We see him do it uh, before big ministry moments. We see him do it before big life events. We see him do it before he makes important choices. He, he pulls back, he has solitude. And in that solitude, he reflects and experiences an encounter with his father. Who do you think taught him that? Jesus, yeah, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of Mary. I have to wonder if this was something that Mary passed on to her son. If there were moments in the craziness of their lives, I mean, there was a point where they had to flee to Egypt for a couple of years. If in the middle of the fleeing and the anxiety and the worry, if Jesus encountered his mother sitting in the corner, just smiling, uh, smiling and thinking deeply and quietly to herself. I think it's safe to say that he learned this from Mary. And now it's our turn to learn it from Mary. So what I want to ask you to think about this week is what does your heart meditate on? I'm not going to bother asking if your heart meditates on something because it's Christmas and you all got a million things going on. I know your heart is meditating. So I'm going to ask, what is it meditating on? What are you thinking deeply about? What are you thinking so deeply about that it's having an impact on your emotions? The way you respond to your children, the way you interact with your friends. And I'm going to challenge us 
to take some time to think like Mary, to meditate in our hearts like Mary did, to take moments where we sat down all of the, the busyness and the craziness and the noise and just think about God, who he is, what he's done for us, how the Messiah died for our sins, how we have a church family now, how the kingdom is here and the Messiah is changing everything. These thoughts that if we think about them deeply and if we do it alone in a way that brings us to the feet of Jesus will change us from the inside out. We have to do this. So here's my challenge for you. It is simple. I want you to spend 10 minutes practicing meditation of the heart this week in solitude. No one around you. I would encourage you to not even listen to worship music or read scripture. I know that's crazy, but I, but I want you to have this intimate moment alone with God. And for some of you, you might need more prompting, and that's okay. If you are having trouble deciding what you want to meditate on, then I would encourage you again to take a page out of Mary's book. Meditate on what Jesus, the Messiah, has changed for you. How has he turned your life around? How has he uh, made you a different person? And for those of you who are maybe not there yet, who maybe have doubts and questions, I would encourage you to meditate on the question, how could Jesus change my life? How could Jesus transform me from the inside out? How could God show up for me in a way that I didn't think he could? And I promise in those moments, you're going to encounter God and your heart will be shifted and your emotions will be impacted. And for those of us that struggle with this holiday season, we might begin to have a new perspective on Christmas. For me, I, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, died for my sins and so that I could have life to the fullest. He didn't die so that I could be stressed out and angry and anxious on Christmas. He died so that I experienced calm and joy and peace and all of these things to the fullest in a way that I couldn't find anywhere else. So that has been my meditation this season. I would ask you to find yours and to spend time this week and this season meditating in your heart. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. But before we do that, uh, I have a song that I asked the worship team to play. And I apparently have a reputation of asking for us to play songs that don't, you don't usually hear on Sunday. Uh, and sometimes I do this because it's a perfect song. And in my brain, I'm like, yeah, well, of course we would sing this. Why would we sing anything else? Sometimes I do it because I like doing the unexpected when we gather together. Because when we do on the unexpected, it moves us out of our comfort zone. It allows us to, to experience God in a fresh new way. And this song actually is both. It is a song about a father who teaches his children how to have a moment alone with Jesus. It fits what we're talking about. It's, it's a real uh, modern example of Mary raising her son, Jesus. But it's also a song that is different a song that you might not be used to hearing on a Sundays. And my hope, my prayer for us is that as you get into that uncomfortable space of this song, that it will lead you to a new encounter with Jesus. Can we do that together? Can we encounter Jesus in a new way today? Yeah. Let me pray for us as we uh, enter in this song. As, uh, and I want you just to, to sit in the prayer and then sit in the song and just listen. I don't want you to get to your feet or uh, or participate by standing up. I want you to sit and listen and to think deeply about the words you're hearing and how God is showing up in your life. So let me pray. God, thank you for this space. 
Thank you for a space where we can leave all of our worries at the door, at least for a minute. Thank you for a space where we, where when we struggle to do that, you show up anyways. Thank you for being a father who fights for us, a father who fights for our attention in the middle of our worry and our anxiety. You fight to be with us. You fight to encounter us. You fight to wrap your arms around us. So as we enter into this space where we're going to try so hard to set aside everything that distracts us and brings us anxiety and worry in this season, I, I beg you, Father, to show up, to be here, to be with us in a way that we can feel and we can encounter. As we sit and as we think, as we make space for you, I'd ask that you would fill that space to bursting. Let your joy and your love and your peace Your kindness, fill this space right now as we hear this song. Lead us to encounter you. Lead us to a moment that transforms our hearts from the inside out. God, we love you and and we can't wait to spend time with you in this moment right now. By your bed every night To me some mumbling Like she was out of her mind Said boy this kind of praying So save my life Ought to try it sometime Now I know she was right Cause she was talking to Jesus she was talking to Jesus She be talking to Jesus For all of her life Mama used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights Gacky pants and a polo shirt Boy, I put up a fight Said one day you'll thank me For having God in your life And I know she was right Yeah, my mama was right Cause now I'm talking to Jesus She got me talking to Jesus She got me talking to Jesus Yeah, my mama was right now I'm talking to Jesus Yeah, I love talking to Jesus And I'll be talking to Jesus For the rest of my life Cause what a friend we have in Jesus 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 I've got three of my own now 
trying to raise them up right. My oldest is 15, and I remember what that was like. Trying to deal with the drama, trying to figure out the questions of life. I've been looking for a way to show how to make it all right. Then he walked in my room I said my prayers the other night I said I'll come back later And tell you got a lot on your mind I said it's not an interruption You couldn't have picked a better time Cause I was just talking to Jesus Come over We started talking to Jesus. We started talking to Jesus. We started talking to Jesus. Whoa. Now he's talking to Jesus. God, he's talking to Jesus. I hope he's talking to Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus 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 What a friend we have Jesus, whoa, there's no wrong way to do it, it's not a bad time to start, it doesn't have to sound pretty, just tell them what's on your heart, cause it's not a religion, it's more like a friendship. Just talk to your father like you are his kid. Just start talking to Jesus. Come on. Just start talking to Jesus. You can talk to Jesus whenever you like. Just start talking to Jesus. Just start talking to Jesus Just keep talking to Jesus For the rest of your life Some of you came here needing change Maybe you have an addiction you can't break You have a relationship you can't fix You have a grief that you can't put down Or an anxiety that will not stop attacking you Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're defeated. Maybe you find yourself in your kitchen in a ball on the floor and you just need someone to pick you up. I need you to know that there's only one person who can do that. There's only one person who can fix what is broken, who can bring us hope and joy and love and peace and an amount and a kind that you cannot find anywhere else. And his name is Jesus. We call Jesus a friend and we don't use that word lightly. 
There is no one who knows you better, loves you better, or cherishes you more than Jesus. You cannot find a friend better than him, even if it's someone you knew from kindergarten. Jesus is your best friend, your eternal friend, the friend that can do everything and anything in your heart. So if you want change today, if you want your emotions to be transformed and your heart to be turned away from the things that are breaking it, you need to come to Jesus. Church, do we believe that? Can we believe that? Then I'm gonna need you all to get on your feet. And I'm going to need us to talk to Jesus. Can I hear you talk to Jesus? Let's do that. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Welcome back. I hope that message was encouraging for you. A reminder of the power of solitude and some of the things that God can do in it. I also hope that you have an opportunity this week to find some solitude and to reflect on who God is and what he has done for you, maybe even the ways that he has changed your life or the ways that the coming of the Messiah has changed your life. Uh, I think you'll find that to be really powerful uh, and help you uh, not only focus, but maybe change your mindset and your your emotions during this uh, Christmas season. I also want to remind you 
that we want to support you in whatever you're going through, whether it's something you're processing through the message or just something you need encouragement and support for in your life, whether that's prayer or, or anything else that we can, can do. So be sure to fill out that connect card and indicate that prayer or support is something that you need. And we would love to reach out and make sure that you receive that. So go ahead and do that. Uh, I hope you have a blessed weekend and a blessed Christmas season, and we will see you next week. Bye.